0: Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, January 14th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Everyone says office space is dead, but you know, don't tell Google. And it's not yet a household name, but powerful market maker Citadel Securities may list on the public market. Plus, we'll look at a London industry that masks corruption and abuse of power by elites in countries like Kazakhstan.
1: London, you know, has been very slowly losing an empire and gaining a set of services it can sell to the world's new powers.
0: I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Google is buying a billion dollar office space in London. This is an addition to a huge new headquarters that it's in the process of building right nearby. This comes as millions of square feet of UK office space have been shut or converted into other uses. Google said it sees the office as a place for in-person collaboration and connection. Part of the new investment will be used to repurpose existing office space. Our next story is also about London and its connection to Kazakhstan. The Central Asian country was just rocked by massive political protests and the government's crackdown killed more than 160 people. Those protests were fueled by frustration with the government, decades of post-Soviet autocracy and rising inequality. Basically, the ruling elite in this resource-rich country controls most of the wealth and much of that wealth is in London. But the city isn't just a place where Kazakh elites park their money. FT Investigations correspondent Tom Burgess says London has become a kind of headquarters for the global elite. He's written a book about this, and here he draws the connection between the recent protests and the British capital.
1: So one of the first places where the, the protests broke out recently was Zanozin, which is a, an oil town in the steppe. And almost exactly 10 years ago, that was the place where Kazakhs found out what happens to you if you cross a kleptocracy. Um, There were some protesters in the town square. They were protesting against corruption, among other things. And the regime security forces opened fire on them and then tortured the survivors in the most grotesque ways. And as it happened a few weeks after that, the president, Nazarbayev, he's due to give a speech at the University of Cambridge. And you, you have to wear a different face when you give a speech at the University of Cambridge. So he turned to to someone whose consultancy had been active in Kazakhstan and who was a, a brilliant communicator, Tony Blair.
0: As in the former UK prime minister. Tony Blair, at that point, was running a consultancy and he was working with Central Asian regimes. So as the Kazakh dictator, Nursultan sultan Nazarbayev, is getting ready to go to Cambridge, Blair sent him a document.
1: In a document I've seen, he sends him his advice on how to spin this massacre so that Nazarbayev looks as though he's standing up for stability in a volatile region. And Nazarbayev goes ahead and and does that. He goes to Cambridge, he gives his speech and describes himself as this bastion of stability rather than someone presiding over the murder and torture of his own people. And I think that's a pretty striking example of how sometimes, it must be said, with good intentions, these big Western figures can help to legitimize and prolong the rule of these kleptocrats.
0: And it's not just PR advice. Tom says London is home to an entire industry of British people providing specialized services to what Tom calls global kleptocracy.
1: London, you know, has been very slowly losing an empire and gaining a set of services it can sell to the world's new powers. If you come to London, if you're a kleptocratic dictator, corrupt dictatorship, and you come to London, you and your allies, you've got everything you could possibly need. You've got lawyers to frighten journalists. You've got more lawyers to fend off any law enforcement interest in the origins of your immense riches. You've got estate agents who will help you put enormous sums into British real estate, The Kazakh regime has put about half a billion. You've got the concierge services, people who will get your children into the right schools and kind of launder your family the way you might launder your fortune. And then you've got the top-end PR companies that will serve you as well as any propaganda operation ever did. And then you've got the private spies in Mayfair. You've got everything you could possibly want to try to make illegitimate corrupt rule look like it's the legitimate will of the in this place, the Kazakh people, and to cement your power at home by burnishing your image and creating political alliances abroad, and also the ability to target your enemies using these private spies and lawyers and the press and so on. So a full suite of services available in an afternoon in London.
0: But Tom says the attitude is starting to change,
1: especially as there are more and more deaths in the UK, like the Libanenko case, but also, you know, the attempted poisoning in Salisbury. More of a realization that this is not without cost being open to these kleptocratic interests coming to the UK. And I think as there's a growing realisation among especially MPs, of the kind of national security implications of being entwined with these kind of regimes, then there is now a push for greater regulation, better funded law enforcement and paying more attention to the national security risks of this.
0: And one of the things that's supposed to be happening is that all companies operating in the UK are now supposed to disclose the names of the people who own them.
1: In theory, any person of significant control of a company registered in the UK should be identified a company's house, right? So there should be public records of that because the one thing that this whole enterprise relies on is corporate subterfuge and secrecy and the ability of kleptocrats to disguise their holdings. Now, in theory, the UK has some of the best legislation about this, but it's not enforced. Yeah, there's all sorts of nonsense on Companies House and clearly bogus filings, thousands upon thousands of them, no doubt. It's the same with the white-collar crime institutions so for instance the serious fraud office has had its budget knocked back again and again by these years of austerity it's constantly receiving political criticism sometimes for bad mistakes it has made in its underfunded way so the uk is i think awakening to this problem but is not getting close to committing to addressing it
0: that's tom burgess he's the ft's investigations correspondent and the author of the book kleptopia how dirty money is conquering the world By the way, Tom did reach out to Nazarbayev's office for a response. They did not respond to his request for comment. This week, U.S. hedge fund billionaire Ken Griffin sold a stake in his company, Citadel Securities, to a pair of big-name venture capital firms. Now, this is a really big deal, and not just because of the money involved, $1.2 billion, by the way, but it's important because it's Citadel Securities.
2: It's one of the most important bits of the plumbing behind U.S. financial markets that most normal people have never heard of.
0: That is, of course, our markets editor, Katie Martin.
2: It handles like a huge chunk of uh, equities trades, of stock market trades. It's something like 27% of all the deals that are executed in the market somehow go through Citadel Securities. And it's an even bigger chunk in the retail market. So little brokers, I say little brokers, but brokers that, that cater to amateur investors like Robin Hood and whatnot, they send their trades effectively to Ken Griffin's Citadel Securities to get the deals done.
0: So when Ken Griffin decides to sell a big stake in his company for the first time since Citadel Securities was founded 21 years ago, that got people thinking about one thing, IPO.
2: This massive market maker could end up being a listed stock in and of itself. And that would be really fascinating because, as I mentioned, Citadel Securities does a lot of the back end trade execution stuff for Robinhood. And I'm sure you remember a year ago, Robinhood was oh, yes. instrumental in this enormous explosion of trading in GameStop The fact that that at a certain point Robin Hood had to say, "Okay, there are too many people buying this stock now. We have to switch it off and stop people being able to do it." The conspiracy theories online, and they are largely completely. plucked out of thin air but nonetheless very deeply believed is that somehow Ken Griffin had something to do with this and Citadel Securities was instrumental in switching off the trading and there's a lot of people in the amateur investing world who are still incredibly angry, rightly or wrongly, with Ken Griffin and with Citadel Securities. So the idea of it reaching public markets itself, I think will just it's just going to be fascinating. I can't wait.
0: That's the FT's Markets editor, Katie Martin. The Kremlin yesterday said the US and NATO have failed to address its security grievances. The two sides met this week to try and defuse Moscow's threat of a military action in Ukraine. So what's next for Russia and Europe? Join me on Twitter Spaces for a chat about this, along with our top editors and correspondents covering the story. The conversation starts at 12 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. London. We've put a link to the conversation in today's show notes. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Fiona Simon and me, Mark Filipino. Our editor is Jess Smith. We had help this week from David Silva, Peter Barber, and Gavin Coleman. Our executive producer is Topher Forges. Cheryl Brumley is the FT's global head of audio. And our theme song is by Metaphor Music.